Welcome, I'm Father Chris Alar here at the National Shrine of the Divine Mercy in Stockbridge, Massachusetts, coming to you live at 11 o'clock Eastern time here in Massachusetts. So welcome from around the world as we continue our series um, that I have been promoting for the last few weeks now called Explaining the Faith, which is a DVD series that Brother Mark will show on the screen. It has many talks that I've been doing over the last several Saturdays. These are talks on Mary, the sacraments, the mass, divine mercy, suicide and suffering. These are all topics that are covered in this DVD series that you can get, as you see on the screen. Um, on the screen, we showed you where you can get this to download it or get the DVD series um, in physical copy. Now, Today is a special topic. It's unlike talks I normally do. Today, I'm going to basically tell you a story. And I hope you stay with us because the story is filled with some teaching that changed my life completely. And it actually is why I'm a priest. So today I'm going to tell you something so powerful that God gives to us a concept that few realize that I'm going to teach you today through a story that if you're like me, it may change your life. Now, I'm not saying you might become a priest like me because of this, but you never know what God can do working in your life. So what is it? God's mercy after tragedy. This is a very difficult topic. This is a topic that we will all go through one time or another in our life. We will experience tragedy anywhere from sickness to disease to death of all kinds. Now, the next slide I want to show you answers that question about what type of tragedy we're going to talk about today, and that is suicide. This is the most difficult of all the subjects of tragedies, in my opinion, because it is a topic that makes us really cringe in many ways, difficult to deal with. But the principles I'm going to talk to you about apply not just to suicide, but to any kind of tragedy. So if you say, Father, I haven't experienced a suicide, I'm going to turn this off now. No, please don't. Because what I'm about to tell you in the story is all about not just suicide, but any kind of other tragedies that we could go through in our life. All right. Now, the reason I picked suicide is because, as I said, I think it's one of the most difficult to deal with. And I want to start by telling you the story, as I mentioned, of myself. Um, this is a story that hopefully will convey to you the power of God's mercy. And it starts um, with me. I'm an, I'm an engineer by degree. And um, I'm an engineer. I worked in the Detroit auto industry. And... Um, I, you know, I was working, had a great job, I had a lot of good money, but something was missing. 
And you can see the first slide that Brother Mark's going to show you. That's where I worked in downtown Detroit. That was um, a very good place to work. I was making great money. Um, but something was missing in my life. So I decided to move down to North Carolina. So the next slide that you see is actually a view out my door or my balcony in my house. So uh, that's overlooking Lake Norman, minus that little wine glass there in the corner. Um, but that's overlooking my house, overlooking the lake. Um, I thought I would move away to start my own business. This is what I did. So um, the business did really well. The next picture, you see my living room. There's my dog, Rocky. Um, everybody thinks they have the greatest dog in the world, but uh, sorry, Rocky was the best yellow lab. Um, next picture, you can see there I am boating him to work. Uh, we used to ride the boat to work. It was a beautiful place. My home was on one side of the lake. My business was on the other. The next picture you can see there is is my boat there in the yacht harbor. Uh, God had blessed me. The next picture you can see is me at my office. Um, this was what I had done. I had left corporate America to start my own business. As you can see me there at my desk, look at that computer. Isn't that funny? Look at that monitor. Um, quite humorous, actually, now when you look at what we have in use today. Uh, so anyway, God had blessed me, and I had bought um, a, a house that was on the next slide that you can see. Now, what's interesting, you see that house there that says Lake Norman? I'm telling you, Lake Norman is the most beautiful place you could live in America. It's north of Charlotte. I'd like to tell you that was my house, but that's not my house. My house was way up above in that picture along the coast of the lake on the other side. So um, anyway, I just wanted to let you know that that's the kind of beautiful area that I lived. The reason I showed that house actually is uh, it was one of the Charlotte Panther NFL football players' homes, if I remember correct, or one of the coaches actually. But anyway, um, now to tell you what happened. The story is, as I said, I left corporate America to start my own business because something was missing in my life. And I couldn't quite figure out what it was. And um, I started down in North Carolina to build this business. And things were going well, as I just showed you. You could see by the pictures. Uh, God was rewarding me. Things were going very, very well. But something was still missing. And I began to think I was becoming very ungrateful. Well, anyway, um, Lowe's Home Improvement Store uh, has their corporate headquarters right near where I lived. And they started bringing executives into the corporate offices for six-month training. And I sensed a business opportunity where I knew that these executives wouldn't want to buy a house for just six months, but they wouldn't want to live in a hotel for six months. So I had this idea of starting to rent out my house fully furnished, buy another house, and then do the same thing. And it was in the process of doing that <clears throat> that I bought a home in a beautiful area of North Charlotte in Huntersville called Winfield Creek. And um, I started to have to drive to work again after, you know, boating for a while to work was uh, spoiling me. And as I was driving back and forth to work, I was renting out houses and buying houses. And anyway, as I, um, as I was driving back and forth to work, I wasn't practicing my faith. And anyway, um, what had happened was one night I was at the office real late. 
And it was close to midnight. It was a cold, cold night in the winter down in North Carolina. And I was driving back and I passed by this. And the next picture will show you what I passed by. And then it was the building of a new church called St. Mark's in Huntersville, North Carolina. Now, as you can see there, the parish is built in that picture. But when I was driving by it on the very far right, if you look on the picture, there's just a little building. And that was the worship center. At the time, that was the only building on the grounds. That church there wasn't built yet. So anyway, you could see that that was a... Um, a new church that was building. Well, anyway, what happened was I was not practicing my faith. And as I said, about midnight one night, as I pulled in uh, out of work and I'm driving home, I passed by this church. And if you've ever lost your power steering, you know what a problem that is. Well, all of a sudden, my car, the wheel pulled to the right and it pulled right into the parking lot of that church. The wheel almost had a mind of its own. Now to this day, I don't know if I lost the power steering or what exactly it was that happened, but the wheel turned in and I went all the way down the driveway trying to put the car um, somewhere safe so I could try to use a phone and get some help. Now this was in the year 2001. And actually I think, I'm sorry, it was around 2003, my apologies. So in about 2003, um, this is when it happened. Well, anyway, um, I pull into this lot and it's real late, it's cold, and there's no cars but a few in the parking lot. And I noticed there was a light on in that worship center building, so I decided to go there thinking maybe a janitor was in the building. And when I went there, there was nobody in the building and I went to the far end door and it was locked. Then I decided to go to the middle door and it was locked. I returned to my car, which was all the way across the field, because as I said, that church wasn't built yet. And I figured I was gonna try to force that car home even if I lost the power steering. And I was gonna try to force the wheel home. I thought I could make it because I wasn't too far away. And something told me to check that last door. And there was a third door on the far end of that worship center. And it kept pricking at my conscience. And I thought, well, why do I want to do this? Maybe I can call my friend, the neighbor who can come get me at least. And I'll just leave the car in the parking lot. So I took my key and I put the key into the ignition. And I thought, no. I'm going to listen to my conscience. And the next three seconds changed my life. And that's why I'm a priest today. That three seconds as I had that key in that ignition. Now, I was engaged to be married, had a business I just mentioned, had a home on the lake, had a, several opportunities for just what a guy would give anything for in life. But all of a sudden, I'm ready to put that key in that ignition. And somebody or something told me to check that last door. So I walked across that field thinking the door's just going to be locked. And I went to that last door and I walked in on this. As you can see 
on your screen. Eucharistic adoration. There is our Lord in the most blessed sacrament. Can you believe I had not been to adoration and I was a born Catholic in my whole life? I had never done Eucharistic adoration. That's a sad commentary on our Catholic catechesis and handing on the faith. But when I walked in on that Eucharistic adoration, something happened to me. I fell down to my knees. I didn't have to know it. I didn't have to be taught it. I just knew my Lord and my God. And that's what I say every mass that I celebrate when I lift and elevate the most holy Eucharist. It's my Lord and my God, the words of Thomas. And so my whole life began to change at that moment. I caught fire. I started going back to mass, not just Sunday mass, but daily mass. I started watching EWTN. I couldn't get enough of the faith. I could not, I mean, I was working 70, 80 hours a week, seven days a week. And now all of a sudden I'm working 45 hours a week because I was spending the extra 30 hours in the chapel. The only time I was at peace was when I was in that chapel and I knew something was going on. And I started to catch fire. I started to go back to church. I started to take, I went to Bible study. I used to laugh at people who went to Bible study. They're just a bunch of Protestant Bible thumpers. That's not our Catholic faith. Boy, was I wrong. And all of a sudden, this fire grew into an inferno. And the priests there started getting kind of... Uh, wind of this. And, and, and I bug the heck out of them with questions all the time. I'd track them down. I'd say, father, why does the church teach this? What does the church teach about this? And he was a very good priest. He could answer all my questions and his answers were fascinating. This is why it's important to have a good priest. And, and, and he basically helped encourage me. And he said, why don't you come to my office in the mornings before work and we'll pray the divine office. I'm like, what's the divine office? And he said, just come. And he taught me how to pray the divine office. And so anyway, in the midst of our meetings there that we would pray, he, he kind of picked up on the fact that I was carrying some baggage. And I think we all carry baggage of some sort or another, right? And, and he asked, he said, you know, you, you bring up a lot of this stuff from the past. He said, um, have you ever done a general confession? And I said, no, what's that? And he says, it's where you make an appointment with a priest. Now, don't do this on Saturday to me, he said, with 20 people behind you in the confessional line. But make an appointment. And you basically sit down with the priest, allow enough time, try to be respectful of his time. And you basically walk through your life from your earliest memories confessing your sins as you go. Even if you've confessed them before, normally you hear me always teach, don't confess the same sins you've already confessed unless you've committed them again. But this is different. You're kind of, you're going through your whole life. 
And, you know, I, I started back when I was a little kid being nicer to my sister. And I got to grade school being nicer to the kids in the playground. And I got to junior high. That wasn't too bad. I got to high school. There's a few bumps in the road. Then I got to college and my fraternity career. And, whoa, that took some time, you know. Now, granted, the year now that I'm in this priest's office is the year 2003. So it was 17 years ago. And in there, I'm walking through my life and I get to the year 1993. So basically 10 years earlier from the moment I'm in this priest's office. And at that moment, I got to a topic and I said, Father, this one really bothers me. And he said, what? And I said, what happened on Father's Day, 1993? And he said, what happened? And the next picture will show you my grandma. That's my grandma. And on Father's Day, 1993, she took her life. You can see her there with me. See that little whippersnapper planning the whole trip, um, holding the, uh, the map. And the, I was probably all of four years old already planning things um, in my, my nature. There's my mom. Don't you love my mom's hairdo there? I used to tease my mom. She says, everybody wore their hair like that then. Um, my sister, one of the best Christians I know here, I'm the priest of the family, but if I could be half the Christian that my sister is, I'll be a blessed man. So you can see there's my grandma. And in 1993 on Father's Day, she took her life. So I'm there in the priest's office and I am telling him about this event. And I said, Father, it really bothers me. And he says, why? I says, because Father, when it happened, I didn't even pray for her. I didn't even pray for her. And I said, Father, the worst thing is she committed suicide. He says, well, we don't really use that term now. We say that they took their life. And I said, okay. And I said, but I didn't pray for her because she's in hell. She didn't have any time to repent. She committed a mortal sin. This is church teaching. Here I am teaching the priest, right? That this is church teaching. And he says, no, it isn't. I said, huh? And he went to educate me on some things that I'd like to talk about now regarding suicide. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but I want you to be aware of suicide being one of these examples of tragedy. But when I finish, the spiritual principles will apply, as I've said, not just to suicide, but to any kind of tragedy, suffering, or loss. I picked suicide because it was my personal experience with my grandmother. And I think it's the worst example of a tragedy because we always say, if I just would have said this, if I just would have not done that, they'd still be with us today. We, we feel that guilt, unlike cancer that we can't control or even an accident. Suicide is almost in its own realm because we feel like it was avoidable. And yes, it was avoidable. 
but there's a lot more there than meets the eye. And this is what I want to talk to you about. The priest educated me on some things about suicide that I'd like to share with you. And I'm adding a lot of things. This isn't everything he told me. I'm adding a lot of this stuff from my research in my book that I've written <coughs> about God's divine mercy and tragedy and suicide. But here's what I'd like to summarize. Just some stats. Do you know every year in the United States, almost 50,000 people take their own life. This has gone up. Suicide rates have gone up every year for 10 straight years and 33% since 1999. Do you know that for every suicide, there are 25 suicide attempts? So there's an attempt every 30 seconds, just in our country. This is crazy. Now, this is an, a stat that surprised me. I come from a military family. Do you know now more veterans have taken their own life than have died in the Vietnam War? That's unbelievable. We've lost more veterans to suicide than we did in the Vietnam War. Yet we don't hear about it. Do you know around the world, it's not just a U.S. problem, around the world, almost a million people, there are more people who die every year by suicide in the world than die by all the wars or homicides combined. That's unbelievable. More people in the world die every year by suicide than all the wars or homicides combined. Do you know women attempt suicide three times more than men? But men complete the act of suicide three times more than women. Do you know some experts believe as many as 25% of single car auto accidents are suicides? This is very scary. Shouldn't happen. Do you know the most popular place in the world outside the home to commit suicide or to take your own life? The Golden Gate Bridge. When I was working on my book, I came across an interesting story of a true story of a man who jumped from the Golden Gate Bridge to take his life. And he left a note in his apartment. And as they were cleaning out his apartment, they found the note that he had left. And his note said, I am going to the bridge today to take my life, to jump. But if even one person smiles at me, even one person smiles at me along the way, I will not do it. Think about that the next time you are yelling at the car next to you on the expressway or giving a dirty look to somebody at the grocery store because you think they cut in front of you at line. I've been there. I've done it. Trust me. But this story really helped me reflect on the importance of just a smile. You know, after the coronavirus hit, Calls to the suicide hotlines have gone up 600%. And the scary thing is the suicide rates are greatly going up. And one of the reasons I heard from one of the medical experts is people are showing up at hospitals 
asking for mental health care, mental health treatment, and they're being rejected. They're being sent home out of fear of the coronavirus. So out of fear of them not catching a physical virus, many, and I'm not saying all, but many places are disregarding the mental aspect, the mental health, the depression, the anxiety. And they're just sending these people home under the command that this is for your own good, for coronavirus. We don't want you to catch the coronavirus. But then these people end up taking their own life as they're living in quarantine and isolation. We shouldn't say social distancing. We need social contacts. What we're doing right now, you as a viewer and me, is social we should say physical distancing is needed, but not social distancing. We should remain with contact, in contact with our loved ones, friends and family. And what's happening is these people are not getting medical treatment out of fear of this virus. And not getting the medical treatment that they deserve is leading to severe increases in suicides. You know, the reason is because many suicides are associated with some form of clinical depression, either em from emotional stress or even physical. My grandma's depression was caused by her extreme physical pain. Her body was racked with arthritis and other things. Depression, which comes from this, can destroy a person's capacity to reason clearly. It can severely impair sound judgment. Such that if a person is suffering in this way with extreme depression, they're liable to do things they would never do if they were not depressed. Things they would never even consider. Do you know the number one reason men commit adultery? Stupidity. Do you know the number one reason women commit adultery? Depression. They don't feel loved. They feel rejected or not appreciated or respected by their boyfriend or their husband. And this leads them into a state of depression. All of a sudden, Johnny at the water cooler is complimenting her and, and paying attention to her and showing her affection. And next thing you know, an affair or adultery has happened that normally never would have happened. This is how our minds are affected. That affects our judgment, our will. Because we are, we are clouded in, in these effects of depression. The problem is only half of Americans experiencing depression even receive treatment. This is important. And so this depression plays a factor in the church's teaching of suicide. So this priest who is trying to explain it to me, basically, as I brought up to him, well, Father, the church teaches that... If you take your life, you're damned. And he's like, no, that's not church teaching. Let's look at this a little further. Most early theologians of the church considered suicide as murder and therefore a mortal sin. Yes, objectively, it is grave. Suicide is a grave sin, and so is helping one to take their own life. Please do not fall for these crazy laws in places like Europe and even right here like Oregon and other states that are telling you it's mercy killing. There is no such thing as mercy killing. 
God's mercy may be allowing that soul to go through purification. And now we're going to make the choice of God to end it, to end their life. We cannot. This is a very big misconception in the church. There's no such thing as mercy killing. Well, I want to relieve their suffering, Father. That's God's choice because their suffering may be for the salvation of their soul or the soul of you as a loved one. You go ahead and play God and cut that short. That's not what church teaching is about. So yes, objectively, suicide is grave, but there's more to the story. Let's look at the next slide. Mortal sin. You all remember, the only way that a soul is lost to hell is to die in an unrepentant state of mortal sin. This is the only way a soul is lost. But let's look at mortal sin. Look at the slide on your screen. In order for a sin to be mortal, it doesn't just have to be grave. Number one is grave. Yes, grave matter like like abortion, murder, you know, the obvious. But do you know that other things can be grave matter, too, that you probably don't think of? Do you know missing mass on Sunday without a reason or excuse? If you're baptized Catholic, can it be a grave, a mortal sin? It is grave. It may be mortal um, things people don't think about masturbation or gossip. These can be grave matter. All right. So let's look at this. Go back to the slide. Number one is grave matter. It has to be grave matter. Well, suicide is grave matter. Two, you must have knowledge that this sin is serious. And I think most people believe and understand that, yes, um, it is suicide is. We have knowledge that it is a serious grave sin. But look at number three. Free will. You have to want to do it. This is where it gets interesting. Let's look at this for a bit. Number three, free will. All right. In the case of a suicide, a person may not have given their full consent of the will. They didn't want to do it. My grandma is the perfect example. She hung on. She suffered. She struggled. She tried everything to get up every day to just get through another day. She didn't want to take her own life. It was the last thing she wanted to do. But the suffering she was enduring was really difficult for her. Now, she didn't make the right choice. Suicide is never the answer. It's a permanent response to temporary problems, but we must empathize with those who succumb and give up the fight, not because they are despairing that God won't save me or God doesn't love me and therefore I take my own life. They despaired in another definition of despair. The church definition of despair is that you give up on God and you turn your back on God and I don't want God. That's not the kind of despair that my grandma and most others who went through the pain and agony that resulted in suicide are guilty of. That kind of despair is my grandma gave up the fight. She couldn't do it anymore. Now, I'm not excusing it, but let's look at this. Let's look at the next slide. Catechism 2282. Read it verbatim. Grave psychological disturbances. Anguish or grave fear of hardship, suffering, or even torture can diminish the responsibility of the one committing suicide. 
This is important. So over the years, because of this, what the church is saying in that statement is there are factors that can affect the free will. And if you don't have free will, you may not be guilty of that mortal sin. In fact, if you it's determined you don't have free will, you are definitely not guilty of a mortal sin. So over the years, the church has turned to a more subjective view and become more pastoral. Yes, subjectively, there may be mitigating circumstances like mental illness or lack of free will that contribute to an action. So this is what the church teaches. No one can appreciate the unimaginable pain that is the explanation for such a tragic action like suicide. Therefore, no one can judge the person whose choice we can't even fathom. This is why the church does not teach someone who takes their own life automatically goes to hell. And even if somebody died that isn't from suicide, but other ways, and you think they were outside the state of grace, where there also may be hope for them. I'm going to get to that. This is now how the church views suicide, pastorally, with pity, not condemnation. Prayers are now offered for the deceased. Mass is celebrated. There are burials, even with dignity. Not that long ago, this was not the case. We assume that those who took their own lives were acting freely with no psychological distress or illness. But that may not be the case. Thinking of suicide or wanting or contemplating it, even if you don't want to do it, is a misery. That's the misery of the pain in this valley of tears that we are going through. But there is help. There is an answer. God's answer to this misery is mercy. Listen to this. Father William Bryan and I'm sorry, I don't have the words on the text, but you can listen to what I read. The, the church still teaches that there is a hell, but leaves it to God to decide who should go there. Now remember, God doesn't punish us with hell. We choose it. He just confirms our choices based on this life of whether or not we choose heaven or hell. And divine decisions in this regard are filtered through divine mercy. Tragedy at the end of this life is no sure sign of eternal tragedy in the next. All right. Some say that the reason you go to hell if you take your own life is there's no time to repent. There's no time to ask for forgiveness after your death. This is where I want to show you another slide of Catechism 2283. And this was the catechism passage this priest pointed out to me. I want to go back to the story of the priest now. Remember I told you a minute ago I was in his office and we started talking about the suicide of my grandmother. Read this screen. We, 20, Catechism 2283, we should not despair of the eternal salvation of persons who have taken their own lives. By ways known to him alone, God can provide the opportunity for salutary repentance. Wow. That, what that is saying is that 
God will give an opportunity. Now we can't count that, oh, well, then I'm just going to do whatever I want, Father, and, and sin like a madman, enjoy this lifetime, and then I'll just come back to God when, you know, he comes at this last moment, he's going to give me an opportunity to repent. Sounds good to me. Doesn't work that way. But let's explore it. All right, now, this priest who I'm in his office during this general confession, and I told him that it bothered me that my grandmother took her life 10 years earlier. He said, why did it bother you? I said, because Father, I didn't even pray for her. When, when I could have, I didn't. I didn't even say a prayer for her. Now it's too late. Now she's in hell. He's like, did you listen to anything I just said? The church doesn't teach that she's automatically in hell. I said, well, how do I know, Father? He says, we don't. This is why we need to pray. And I said, well, yeah, I know. I missed my chance to pray back then. He said, no, pray tonight. Now, this is the part I want to get into that applies not just to suicide, but to anybody you have lost in your life for any reason, any tragedy, suddenly, even maybe not suddenly, that somebody you think died outside of the state of grace or not in the good graces of God, Listen to what I'm about to tell you, because this is what changed my life and why I am a priest. After I said to this priest that I missed my chance to pray, he said, no, you didn't. Go home tonight and pray the chaplet of divine mercy for the salvation of your grandmother's soul. I said, first of all, what's the chaplet of divine mercy? Never heard of it. He said, I'll teach you how to pray in a minute. But you go home tonight and you make this prayer. It's a simple prayer, but it's one of the most powerful prayers you can ever make in your entire life. And I don't even know how to pray it, Father. He said, I'll teach you, but <clears throat> go home tonight. I said, well, Father, I don't understand something. My grandmother died 10 years ago. She's already been judged. She's either in hell, I think, but I hope not, or in heaven, maybe, I hope you're right. But she's in one of the two, and my prayers don't do any good now. I mean, maybe at best, my prayers could help her get out of purgatory if she even made it that far. And he said, listen, go home and pray this chaplet for the salvation of her soul. I said, Father, I'm an engineer. I'm not getting this. She died 10 years ago. My prayers then could have helped her, but now it's too late. Father, you're a priest. You should understand this. By this time, he's ready to slap me. And he says, listen, God is outside of time. There is no time for God. We are created in time. For God, there is no past. There is no future. I know that sounds weird. For God, everything is one big eternal present moment. Everything happens right at the present moment for God. In other words, if, if this is Adam and Eve, let me take my notes here if you can see me. If this is Adam and Eve and this is the end of the world and all of this is human history. So you got Adam and Eve at the beginning and the end of the world here. God sees it right now and forever has at one instant. He sees everything instantaneously that's ever happened or ever will happen. God is outside of time. There's no past for God. There's no future for God. He is omniscient, 
which means all-knowing. He means God knows every prayer, Chris, you will ever make your entire life. And he's omnipotent, which means all-powerful. He has the power to apply those graces to any point in time. So go home tonight because God knew 10 years ago that you'd be here tonight making that prayer for your grandma. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. But he's also omnipotent. He has the power to apply those graces that you make tonight back to your grandmother 10 years ago to help her at the moment of her judgment. And I said, you mean I can get her out of hell? He said, no, that's not church teaching, but you can assist her before that moment. I said, father, that was 10 years ago. He said, will you listen God knew in 1993 that you'd be here tonight in 2003. And he knew that you'd be making this prayer and he will allow those graces from your prayer tonight to be applied back to the soul of your grandmother at the moment of her judgment. I had never heard this before in my whole life. And then he pulled out the big guns. He said, listen, you hear the Padre Pio? I said, yeah. He said, this is documented. The brothers of Padre Pio, the Franciscan brothers, had this documented Padre Pio was being evaluated by his doctor. And his doctor noticed that Padre Pio was praying. And the, the doctor asked Padre Pio, what are you praying for? And Padre Pio said, the conversion and the happy death of my grandfather. And the doctor said, well, I knew your grandfather. He said he died over 20 years ago. So the doctor was perplexed why Padre Pio is praying for the conversion and happy death of his grandpa. He died 20 years ago. And Padre Pio said, I know, but God knew 20 years ago that I'd be here today making this prayer and he will allow those graces to be applied to my grandfather before he dies. I was like, what? And it doesn't apply just to suicide. It applies to anybody that you have lost or will lose in the future. This is incredible. Padre uh, Peter Kreeft, who, who endorsed my book, is, I think, the greatest philosopher in the United States. And he tells a story of a, um, a, his daughter who had a brain tumor and they, she was misdiagnosed with a brain tumor. So he asked a lot of people for prayers and then they found out that she really didn't have a brain tumor. And one of his friends said to him, well, gee, the prayers didn't do anything. It was just a, a mistake of a doctor. And Pod, uh, Peter Kreeft said, uh-uh. God forever in time knew that we would be making those prayers to heal my daughter. And at the time he listened to those prayers at the time she was conceived and those prayers absolutely made him lift the burden of that brain tumor that she would have had, even though they were years later. This concept is fascinating. So our prayers can help them, not just to get out of purgatory, which is what all us Catholics think of, but to actually assist them at the moment of their judgment. I mean, this is phenomenal. So my prayers, he said, are like a squadron of dive bombers coming in from the year 2003. All I have to do is place my prayers that night through this thing called the Divine Mercy Chaplet. 
placed in the hands of Mary. And like a squadron of dive bombers, she'll take those prayers and she'll shower them over the head of my grandmother back in 1993 at the moment of her death so that those graces will help her say yes to God, to accept his graces. I says, well, wait a minute, Father. I can't help my grandma. This is up to her. Yes, that's true. I can't make grandma's decision for her and you can't make your loved one's decisions for them. But you can help sway them with the grace of your prayers. It's interesting because if this grace being brought back from my prayers, no matter when they are made, can help the soul, it goes back, this priest said, to the diary of St. Faustina. Now, I'd like to show you this book I'm holding in my hand is called The Diary of St. Faustina. And in it, this priest said in paragraph 1486, Jesus says he comes to the soul three times at the moment of death. I used to hear Father Benedict Groeschel, God rest his soul, talk about that. And I never knew where he got it. He always used to say, well, we know that Jesus comes to the soul three times at the moment of death, offering his mercy for them to say yes and he says, in, in, and I found out where he got it. He got it from St. Faustina, diary number 1486. And Jesus says that he comes to the soul three times. That's when we can help. You see, I said to this priest, and well, Father, I don't, we're done here. Because the second Jesus comes to my grandma's soul, she's going to jump in his arms and say, point the truck upwards. Let's go to heaven. And the priest said to me, well, Chris, not so fast. Now, if your grandma had received the sacraments and was going to church, it'd be a lot easier here. That's why it's important to never stop going to church, the sacraments, confession, communion, because then you have guaranteed grace for salvation. The sacraments are what makes our faith different than any other faith. They are not just symbols. Graces, uh, sacraments are actual grace. Remember my talk from a couple weeks ago? I made this in my talk. I said, sacraments are efficacious signs, meaning they do something of God's grace instituted by Christ and entrusted to the church by which divine life is instilled in us. So Chris, if your grandma had been going to church and been taking the sacraments, she'd be in much better shape right now. I said, the problem is you told me she wasn't. I said, I don't think she was, Father. He said, do you know if she got final confession or communion? I said, I don't know. He said, all right, well then, Father Chris, or Chris, we need to be careful here because there's a lot of work that you need to do in prayer. And I said, but Father, I don't understand. And he said, look, he said, your grandma is going to need help. I said, but Father, you just said Jesus is going to come to her three times. He said, listen, yes, he will come, but your grandmother may not recognize his voice when he does come, you see souls that have turned their back are not going to recognize when Jesus comes because they've turned their back on him. Here's the image of divine mercy. If I turn my back on Jesus, am I going to recognize him when he comes? No, because I didn't live. And remember, Jesus says in scripture, my sheep will recognize my voice. The problem is, what about those who weren't his sheep? Like my grandma at the end of her life, she gave up. Is there hope? 
Yes, we believe there is, but you need to play a part. So I said, okay, Father, so you're telling me to make this prayer. Yes, pray the prayer of divine mercy. You make this divine mercy chaplet prayer. Those graces will be showered over your grandma so that at the moment of her judgment, when she's turned her back on God, those graces can be poured upon her head. So maybe her soul, so maybe, just maybe, there's enough grace for her to turn around and say yes to God when ordinarily she wouldn't have been able to without your help. I said, Father, I'm not God. I don't have that kind of power. Oh, yes, you do. That's our Catholic teaching. How do we know this? John Paul II called us many co-redeemers. He said that God wants us to aid in the salvation of souls. St. Faustina, in her diary, said the salvation of thousands of souls depend on her prayers. Jesus told her that. I said, wait a minute, she's not God. This is how God uses us as little mini co-redeemers. And so this is very, very powerful. All right. Mary at Fatima said many souls go to hell because there's nobody to pray for them. John Vianney said 80,000 souls avoided hell. A demon told him. Sometimes demons are forced to tell the truth. 80,000 souls avoided hell because of his prayers and sufferings alone. So we can play a part. Well, but Father, I said, there was no time for her to repent. She, and I'm sorry, I don't mean to be graphic, but my grandmother pulled the trigger to the handgun. When she pulled the trigger to the handgun, she was dead instantly. Father, there's no time to repent. She was dead dead instantly. She made that fateful decision and then she had no time to repent. And the priest looked at me and he says, you don't think in the time it took a bullet to travel three inches, God can't work a miracle? You don't think in the time it took a bullet to go three inches, God can't come to the soul three times? You don't think that in the time it took a bullet to travel three inches, God can't create a universe? And then he pulled out he says, I want to read you from the diary of St. Faustina. I said, St. who? Never heard of her. He said, well, this is her diary. I said, the only diary I've ever heard of is Anne Frank. He said, well, let me read you something. And he pulled to paragraph 1698. And this is where my life changed. Paragraph 1698 of the diary of St. Faustina. God's mercy sometimes touches the sinner at the last moment in a wondrous and mysterious way. Outwardly, it seems as if everything were lost. And yes, it did. When my grandmother had the gun, took her life, it seemed as all were lost. But it is not so. The soul illuminated by a ray of God's powerful final grace turns to God in the last moment. This is where your prayers help them to do that. They turn to God in the last moment with such a power of love that in an instant, the soul receives from God forgiveness of sin and punishment. While outwardly, it shows no sign either of repentance or of contrition. So yeah, it looks like my grandma didn't have time to repent. 
because souls at that stage no longer react to external things. Oh, how beyond comprehension is God's mercy. Although a person is at the point of death, the merciful God gives the soul that interior vivid moment so that if the soul is willing, with the help of your prayers, it has the possibility of returning to God. Are you kidding me? We have a God so loving, so merciful, I told this priest, that our God would allow a knucklehead like me who didn't even pray for his grandma at her funeral because he was so self-absorbed with his girlfriend and his job and his master's degree and just figured she's in hell anyway and didn't even pray for her. God is so merciful that he's giving me an opportunity to pray now to help this soul. That's absolutely incredible. Now, I want to go back to Catechism 2283. If Brother Mark can put back up on the screen, let's read that paragraph again. Catechism 2283. We should not despair of the eternal salvation of persons who have taken their own lives. This is what we just read in the diary. By ways known to him alone, God can provide the opportunity for repentance. We just read it in the diary. And in 1486, God comes to the soul three times. This is how he offers the opportunity for repentance. It's in the catechism. It's in the diary. It makes a huge difference. I look at this priest, I said, you got to be kidding me. And he says, yes, we have an opportunity, Chris. God gives us this grace. I said, Father, I don't know, but I got to spend the rest of my life spreading this message. This is incredible. And he said, well, and then I said, um, Father, I don't know how or, or when or how, but I'm going to do this. Well, I had no idea then he was going to make me a priest, but this is how God works. And so Basically, he handed me a prayer card. Remember, he kept telling me, I'll teach you the, the, the Divine Mercy Chaplet. He hands me this prayer card. And on this prayer card is an image of the Divine Mercy of Jesus Christ on the front. And on the back is how to pray the Chaplet of Divine Mercy. The most powerful prayer along with the rosary that we can make. And this priest handed it to me and he says, this is how you make this prayer. And take a guess where that prayer card was from. The Association of Marian Helpers in Stockbridge, Massachusetts. And guess who now is the director of the Association of Marian Helpers in Stockbridge, Massachusetts? You're looking at him. This is how God's mercy works. I was so moved by what our God's mercy can do. It changed my entire life. Now, I'm not saying if you open your heart to God's mercy, he's going to make you a priest or a nun. But you never know what he could do if you give God this much opening for his mercy to work. He gave me this prayer card. I went home to pray. And my grandma, when I prayed for her, I felt something that night. I felt something. I don't know for sure, but I felt that there was a peace. So when you do this prayer, have that confidence. That's why I joined the Marian Fathers. We are the divine mercy priests. This is our message. This is what we are tasked to spread to the world. And you are part of it. Every one of you listening to this by being a Marian helper, you share in these graces. Now, I didn't have this slide, but if you want to become a Marian helper, there's no cost. There's no, there's none of that. You can go to micprayers.com. 
for Miriam's of the Immaculate Conception, M-I-C-Prayers.com. And it takes less than 10 seconds. Become a Marian helper. Share in this charism. Share in bringing God's message of mercy to the world. This is what I did. I joined the Marian fathers and I started here and I became a Marian priest. But you know what? Don't let the evil one get to you. I'm going to finish today's story or today's uh, session with this story. Don't let the evil one get to you. He will doubt. He will make you doubt and question yourself. And, and, and um, when I was with the Marians, I began doing parish missions. And in the parish missions, I used to tell the story of my grandmother and all of a sudden, suddenly I started becoming doubtful that this is maybe not true, or maybe I'm just make, imagining that my grandma's released through the power of the chaplet, my prayers 10 years later. And I began to doubt myself and I began to say, you know what, I, Lord, I'm just not going to do this talk anymore until you really show me you want me to give this talk. And I'm not saying you should challenge God. And I wasn't challenging God, but he knew my heart. And I just, you know, Lord, if I'm not, if this isn't true, I don't want to be teaching this. Well, I ended up writing a book about it, and it is true. The book got the imprimatur, and we'll talk about that at the end here. But don't fall for the devil, because he'll make you doubt. And I doubted. And it was interesting. It didn't take God but three hours to throw out my doubt out the window. You see, I was at a parish down outside of Washington, D.C., and I was ready to give the talk that I just gave now about suicide, tragedy, and divine mercy. And um, I decided I was not going to give it. I'd come to the conclusion the devils got to me and I was doubting. And I came to the conclusion I was not going to do the talk anymore unless God really showed me. Well, anyway, I was walking to the parish um, that night from the rectory across the parking lot. And I decided that I was going to not do the talk. I was thinking in my mind about what else I was going to talk about. And all of a sudden there was a lady in the parking lot getting out of her car. She looked like a gym locker and all this stuff stacked up in her car. And all of a sudden she looks up and her eyes met and she says, are you father Joseph? And I said, well, my name is father Chris, but yes, father Joseph is a title that I serve as the director of the Association of Marian Helpers. This is now I'm, I've long entered the Marians. I've become a priest. And she said, Father, do you have a moment? Um, are you the one who made the DVD about your grandmother taking her life and you praying the chapel for her? I said, wow, yeah. She said, Father, I have to talk to you. And I said, okay. And she said, Father, she said, like you, I lost someone close to me by suicide. It was my uncle. He took his life. And like you, I didn't pray for him. And like you, years went by, I thought he was in hell. She said, then I saw your CD or your DVD about your grandmother. And she said, I started praying the chaplet for him. And she said, I too felt something. And she said, one day I went to confession. There was a well-known priest in the D.C. area that was a, could read souls and was a very holy man. And she went to this priest for confession and she never mentioned anything about her uncle and his suicide. And at the end of the confession, she confessed her sins and she was getting up, never mentioned anything about her, her uncle. And the priest said to her, by the way, your chaplet's worked 
And she said, huh? What do you mean, Father? He said, didn't you have an uncle who took his life? And she said, Father, I never mentioned that in this confession. He said, well, did you have an uncle who took his life? She said, yes. And he said, were you praying the chaplet of divine mercy for him? She said, yes. And he said, they worked. He's now in heaven. And she gasped. And she said, Father, how do you know that? And he said, I just saw it. She told me that. That's it. I went right into that parish and told this story. Never doubt the mercy of God. God can bring a greater good out of even the worst tragedy. Somebody can say, well, Father, what possible good could come out of your grandmother's suicide? No, I don't want to look at it that way. God didn't want her to take her own life, and God's ordained will. He doesn't want people to die, get sick, take their own life, disease, coronavirus. But in his permissive will, he allows it. He allows it because we have free will, and there's a lot of choices. But God never wants evil to have the last word. He wants a greater good. And you know what? The greater good that came out of my grandmother and her unfortunate situation was my priesthood. And I believe that her sacrifice gave her eternal salvation because she was part of my journey to the priesthood. People, even in your life, can play a part. You know, people don't think about this, but this is so very important. Um, you know, I'll use the last example. I keep saying my last example. But I mentioned earlier that I was engaged to be married. And I was engaged to a very pretty girl in North Carolina. And I had never thought about the priesthood. If somebody would have told me when I was in high school that I was going to become a priest, I would have cried. And in fact, when I announced to my family that I was going to become a priest, my mom did cry for three days. My dad said I'd never make it as a priest. And my 82-year-old aunt said, I thought you liked girls. And I said, Aunt Helen, I was engaged to be married. <laughs> so I don't know why you're asking that question. But the point is this. Even in our relationship, God can use for the greater good. You see, when I came to the Marian Fathers, after having been engaged, again, the evil one got to me. And I started to doubt before I became a priest if I was called to be a priest. I thought maybe I'm really called to marry the girl I was dating. And it kept haunting me every day. It was a circus of emotions. One day I'd wake up thinking I was to be married to her. The next day I would think I'd to be a priest. It just, it was an emotional roller coaster that wore heavy on me. And I said, I don't know what to do anymore. So I got permission. I was talking to my spiritual director. I just could not figure out what God's will was. So finally, I don't recommend doing this. But finally, I asked to spend all day on a Saturday in prayer at the Basilica in D.C. And I sat there in the side chapel for hour upon hour upon hour, asking, begging God to tell me what to do. And finally, you think that that answer became clear at the end of that day? Nope. So I did something, as I said, I would never recommend to any of you, but God knew my situation, and I think he works with us in our brokenness. I decided to flip a coin. <laughs> yep. 
I flipped a coin, pulled out a quarter and I flipped it and I held it on my forearm and I begged God to speak to me through that quarter. I was so desperate, I knew no other way. Again, I would not recommend this. And I begged and pleaded with God to speak to me through that quarter. You know, there's a song, Heads Carolina, Tails California. Well, mine was Heads Carolina, Tails the Priesthood. And I was so afraid to take my hand off it. I sat there for another hour with that quarter on my forearm, afraid to look at it. Because if it was heads, I was going back. I was leaving the Marian fathers. And if it was tails, I was going to stay to become a priest. God, you have to speak to me. There's no other way. Well, after another hour of prayer, a total of about eight hours, nine hours that day, I finally had the courage to lift my hand and guess what that quarter said? Heads, Carolina. And I left. I left the Marian fathers. I packed everything up, got released from my vows. We had to petition Rome. We had to get permission from Rome for me to be released from my vows. I was convinced that I, had, I just was living in torment because the evil one was throwing the past at me. And the reason why was because Gina and I had been in contact with one another. Uh, mistakenly, she sent an email to a friend and the friend forwarded it to me. And long story short, I had informed my spiritual director of everything that was going on, but communication had started and she asked me to come home. That's what started the whole unrest in my heart. Maybe God, I am to go home. She said, we are to be married. She waited for me for three years. And so when I got back to North Carolina and I saw her, it was like things never changed. Our relationship went back to being better than ever. And I actually was hired back at the company that I used to own, that I sold to the uh, president and CEO of Bertram Yacht. And I was hired back to work at my own company. Well, a year went by, and all of a sudden, one day, I'm in the chapel. And God makes it very clear that I am to be a priest. And makes it very clear to me in my heart that I'm returned to the Marian fathers. So you know what my answer was? <laughs> no way, Lord. You can't ask me to do that again to this poor girl. I already left her once. I gave you my whole heart. I did everything you asked me to do. It didn't work out. I can't do that to her again. You understand, Lord. Classic example of our will, not God's will. But in my heart, I knew I just couldn't do that to her. That would have haunted me the rest of my life to not only do it once to leave her, but a second time? Nah. So I rationalized in my heart that God understood. But you know what? When God wants something, it'll happen, right? So one day I'm at work and the phone rings and it's my girlfriend and she's crying. And she said, we have to talk. Now, when a guy receives a call from his girlfriend that she's crying, that she need, need to talk, it's usually not a good thing. So the first thing I asked, are you okay? She said, yes. But we had never talked about the priesthood the entire time I had been back. And when the Lord gave him my heart to return, there was no way I could do that. And I had justification, didn't want to hurt her. So we never lived together. And I drove immediately over to her house, parked in the driveway and walked in her front door. And her living room was right there. And then the kitchen was on the other side of the living room. 
And she came around the corner and her eyes were swollen with tears. But she had a smile on her face. I had never seen that before. And I knew right then and there that I thought she saw through me that she knew, because I'd never talked about the priesthood, but in my heart, I figured, you know what? What's upsetting her is she sees through me. She knows I want to return to the priesthood. And she's scared. That's why she's crying. She's scared that I'm going to abandon her again. So I said in my mind that the first thing I was going to tell her was, don't worry, I'm not leaving you. You might think, that you see this in my heart. I'm always in the church. I'm always in the chapel. I'm not leaving you. I was prepared to tell her that, but you know what? Somehow I couldn't get those words out. So she came around the corner and then I saw the smile, which was odd. And I tried to tell her. And she reached up and she stopped me. And she says, I have to tell you something. Ever since you came back, I've been praying to God if you were to be a priest or to come home to me. And I'm very much worried that it might have been my will. And I looked and she said, God made it very clear to me three months ago. Now, ironically, three months ago is exactly when God made it clear to me. And she said, three months ago, God put it on my heart and he made it very clear. You are to be a priest. And just then I felt a thousand pounds of bricks lifted off my shoulders. I knew instantly that was God's will. I hugged her for a half an hour, 45 minutes, right there in her living room. And I've never seen her again. And that's okay. We don't talk. That's okay. Because God can take better care of her than I can. And I came back to the Marian father's feeling that he made it very clear. And when she released me, now I had the freedom to be a priest. And I entered it back into the Marian fathers and I've never looked back. But I ask you to please pray because there's another reason I just told you this story. Remember last week I said, we can't understand suffering. Sometimes God allows it for our own sanctification. Sometimes he allows it for our own salvation. Well, there's another reason I brought up the story of that past relationship. And that is because this particular girl was married prior to my meeting her and had a, a young son. And she was in the process for us to get married of getting an annulment. And we were not going to get married before the annulment. <clears throat> but this son was not a very religious boy. It was kind of crash, kind of um, secular, as you could say very um, was already sitting. And anyway, this boy later was on the lake in a boat and jumped off into what he thought was deep water and is now paralyzed from the neck down. 
And this young boy who had every now, what many people would think a right to blame God or to be angry at God has become an amazing young Christian. For the good, we do not communicate and that's okay. But from time to time, I hear or see things. This young boy has turned back to God and has found God in his suffering. And in his suffering has turned in a greater good <clears throat> to find Christ. Does that mean we should ever want a tragedy to hit somebody? Of course not. But what it means is when tragedy does hit us, God can bring a greater good. Yes, this young boy may have lost the use of his body and that is the ultimate of tragedies, but he just found his soul. And so part of my journey to the priesthood involves tragedy. My grandma, the loss of her life, a broken potential engagement or marriage, and a young boy who is now suffering the loss of his bodily faculties. All of those things led to my journey to the priesthood. So not a day goes by that I don't pray for them and that I don't ask all of you to try to find God's hand somewhere in the midst of tragedy. His mercy is always there. His mercy is always with us, even in the midst of the darkest nights or what seems the most impossible situations. Last week, I held up a sign and showed a slide where St. Faustina says, Lord, why do we go through this? And he says, the only way to glory is through the cross. If we find that cross in this earth, that's actually a mercy because that will help sanctify us and to purify us and redeem the sins we have committed and not just our own sins, but the sins of the whole world. This young boy is shouldering more than his sins, but the sins of the whole world. But he's accepted that grace now as a Christian. This whole story that I just told you about my grandma, God being outside of time and the power of prayer I finally have documented in a book that Brother Mark will show you now on the screen. I co-author it with Brother Jason Lewis. And on the screen, you can see the title of the book is After Suicide, There is Hope for Them and for You. Now, please note the website there at the top of the page. It's called suicideandhope.com. We invite all of you to go to that website if you have lost anyone to a tragedy and enter in their name. We're not going to ask for your name or your email or anything like that. You can just put their name and you can put an initial, a first name, a nickname. It doesn't matter. God knows who they are. And you can go to suicideandhope.com and not only get the book there, but you can enter in the name of your loved ones. And I personally will pray 
for each and half for each and every name on that website. And there are thousands. And I do a mass for them every month. And I ask that you pray for them too. So please share that website, suicideandhope.com. There's other resources on there as well. If you want to get the book, you can pass on to shopmercy.org. Also has the book. Then we invite you to get it because it will help in these times of tragedy. And then finally, yesterday was an important feast day, the solemnity, the most sacred heart of Jesus. And in that solemnity, we have everything in the heart of Jesus. And I want to have Brother Mark show you on the screen a beautiful image that you can get downloaded to your cell phone as a wallpaper or as a background by simply texting the word heart to 49892. And you can see every day when you turn on your cell phone, there is hope. So please text heart as in the sacred heart of Jesus from yesterday to 49892. Again, there's no cost. It's a free download. You don't have to enter anything in that the image will come right back to your cell phone. And you can get Jesus always present on your phone and on your background or your wallpaper. Why do we want to do this? Because yesterday was the feast of the sacred heart and it is the sacred heart that gives in the mercy of the blood and the water pour out in the image of divine mercy. So God bless all of you. And thank you for joining us today for another important teaching and a message through story this time of explaining the faith series. So one last thing on your screen is the DVD that I have put together all these talks. It's called Explaining the Faith. There's talks on suffering that we did last week or suicide this week or Mary, uh, divine mercy, confession, communion. I even do a walkthrough of the mass. And tomorrow, I'll con or excuse me, next week, I will continue this series. And this series next week is going to be a huge next two weeks because guess what? The next two Saturdays, I'm going to be talking about divine mercy. I'm going to give you everything you need to know to receive the grace of divine mercy Sunday, how to prepare for it, what it is, how to know how to do it and how it can change your life. And the feast of divine mercy and the graces that are offered to it is next Saturday live again at 11 a.m. Eastern time. And then the following Saturday, I'll be talking about the image of mercy, the novena, the chaplet, uh, the hour, the three o'clock hour. So please join us the next two weeks, especially. I'm going to keep going, but we're going to talk about divine mercy. And so with that, I want to bless all of you to hopefully that you'll have a blessed weekend. Stay with us as we continue to bring you these series of talks explaining the faith. Um, as Brother Mark put up there on the screen, maybe one more time, you can go to thedivinemercy.org slash explaining the faith.
if you want to do a download. So sorry, it's back up on the screen. So if you want to do it um, 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 online streaming, go to thedivinemercy.org slash explaining the faith. That's to get it digitally or back up to the top of the screen. If you want the traditional actual physical DVDs, go to shopmercy.org and you can get a copy of those talks. Well, again, thank you for joining us. We hope that you stay with us each and every week as we continue to bring you and to explain to you the faith. And may Almighty God bless you through the intercession of St. Faustina and Mary and all the saints and through the passion, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen, and God bless you. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content, which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit DivineMercyPlus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's DivineMercyPlus.org. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily Masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign-up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.